Today's scripture comes from Matthew 28, 16 to 20, and Acts 1, 6 to 9. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In Acts chapter 1. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is the word of the Lord. We are in part four of our series called Revive Vision. And um, this is a series where we are laying out what is this new church, Revive Presbyterian, going to all be about? Um, vision. Uh, vision is what you see. But do you understand that um, the most important things to see are not seen with these things? <laughs> They're not seen with this. They're seen by what you most believe. And it gives you a direction and picture of the world. And what is this church going to be about? And we're trying to lay out a picture for you of what this church stands for, what are all its core um, values. And um, so each week we're giving you a piece of this. And so this is the fourth, fourth piece. We've talked all about how we're all about the gospel, how we will do all things by grace, because grace is the power from the gospel. Last week, we talked that this church is um, just church is not led by Susang, Susang or Young. We're just um, the, we're, we're, we are the Aaron boys, all right, of the one who really leads the church, and that is King Jesus, right? his kingship, which also means that we follow him and obey him. And so in many ways, this next message, today we're going to talk about what is this church, what is the core product of the church? <laughs> okay. What does the church, what is its kind of like core, what does the church produce and offer to the world? And you know what that is? It's disciples. <laughs> disciples. Um, what is a disciple? It says in the passage, the passages that were read, um, I hope if you are a Christian, I hope you know them. You know, the first one, Matthew chapter 28, is famously called the Great Commission. And go, therefore, he goes, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and have them follow everything I've commanded. <laughs> a lot of people don't like to listen to that part. Get them to become believers, baptize them. Oh, wait a second. We're supposed to follow <laughs> and obey all the stuff you commanded. That's discipleship. Acts chapter 1, he says, you will be my witnesses, Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world, you're going to take this out into all nations. So 
Acts 1, to me, it's, it's just it's a great commission again. It's just in, in the book of Acts. And both these things are said, they're, they're like the last most important things that Jesus teaches after the resurrections, after he's already conquered um, sin and death through the cross, and then he, he ascends to heaven, and this is what he leaves. This is the church's core activity. So I could just say, okay, let's stop. That's what the, you know, that's what the Jesus says. This is what the Bible's all about. <laughs> Bible says, and this is what the church is going to do. We're going to make disciples. You're like, yeah, 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 I heard that. That's what we're going to do. That's good. That's nice, soundly biblical, and um, let's end the sermon. Um, I wish it was that simple. <laughs> the idea of what we do is that we will be, and if you don't feel like you fully are, a real disciple. A disciple, by the way, is just a follower. <laughs> He's a follower. He's an obeyer. <laughs> he or she follows somebody. They obey that person. And what that person casts out for the meaning the glory of their life, we follow that. That's all, that's, that's all discipleship is, right? Now, some of you are like, I'm a believer. Am I really a follower? <laughs> that's really the question we're gonna, I, want us, I want us to wrestle with today. There are many people who will say, I am a believer of Jesus. When they say they are a Christian, they will say, I believe in the religion called Christianity. And from, as far as I know, the center of it is that there's this person named Jesus. He's a son of God, and he did something for my sins, and I believe in that. That makes me a believer. It's great. Do you know that there's not supposed to be any different, like, wait, but you're like, I'm not sure if I am a follower. <laughs> am I a disciple? I'm a believer, but am I a disciple? Do you follow? And in the Bible, let me tell you something that a lot of people don't seem to understand in America today. There's no difference. <laughs> if you are a believer of Jesus, you're supposed to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. But what I want to talk about today is that why is there a wedge between being a believer and being a follower? That's what I want to talk about today. Because there's a big elephant in the room of American evangelical Christianity, which is that the church, when they are church, they don't even have the right goal. <laughs> I, I, it pains me to say this, but I would say when I look at the expanse of American churches, and when I say American, I'm talking white churches, black churches, Asian churches, Hispanic churches, rich churches, poor churches, you name it. All churches that purport to be in some way, and I'm not talking about theologically heterodox, liberal theology churches. I am talking about Bible-believing churches that say that they, they proclaim the gospel. Right? When I look at those churches around America, they seem very confused about the question of belief versus following. Really, in the Bible, they're one and the same. <laughs> and yet, most churches seem content to say, what we really need to do, the goal is conversion. Conversion is a great goal, but it's not the goal of the church. Conversion, people don't believe in Jesus, they will believe in Jesus, and then they'll get baptized. Yes, awesome. And then you know what? That absolutely deserves celebration. But, and then hopefully they'll show up and they'll give enough money and support the institution. <laughs> right? 
So most, so let, let, me, let me put it, um, this is the way like the, the, the pastors that I talk to sometimes put it. They're like saying, get people to say the prayer and get their butts in the seat and get, help them to get some money. <laughs> and I would say that most churches, and it's really, it really pains me to say this, if you can get people to do that, first get them to believe in Jesus, then more often than not, their rear end is in the seat on Sunday morning, and they more or less participate, and then they give money, then we've been successful. That's, that's a good church. And the more people you got, more butts in the seats, <laughs> right, then you have been a good church. And one of the things I want to say to you today is, according to the Bible, that is not true. And number two, in our church, Revive Church, we believe that, the Bible. So one of the things I always feel like as a pastor is, the whole culture, the, the Christian culture, the church culture, okay? I'm not talking about America. American culture is like becoming atheists and running away from God, blah, blah, blah. We are talking about the Christians or the so-called Christians, the churches have this really low-grade understanding of what the church does and what counts for success in the church. And in our church, we powerfully disagree with the American view of church. We agree with the Bible's view of church. And I don't really care who else says that this is, oh, you've got a good church because you've got about 1,000 people or 500 people or lots of people are happy in this show. You know what? You can have a great church and people are hurting. You can have a great church and there's only 10 people in the church. You can have a great church and, and people in the country hate their guts and are like drawing them out there and murdering them. You know what? There are great churches all around the world and that's happening. In America, though, if people hate you in the city, if you're not popular among the Christians, and if people don't show up with like bright faces and like all seem all scrubbed up, you must not be a very good church. But when God looks at the world, he's like saying, hey, that church used to have 30 people, but 10 of them were, have been hauled off to prison, and now the other 10 are mourning and crying, and then the other 10 are just wrestling with their sins, or, and they're scared, and they're wondering if they can stay being Christians, and God goes, I love that church. What a great church. Why? Because it's about following. So what I want to talk about today is this, that's the big, big, this, the big elephant in the room of American evangelical Christianity. Because quite frankly, if I say, do you want to be a disciple? Um, some of you, okay, so if we actually have a real honest conversation, you would say, probably not. <laughs> what I want is, um, I do believe in Jesus. What I want is enough Jesus to get me through. But I don't know if I want to fully follow him because that might be hard. <laughs> in fact, it will be hard. That's the honest reason. Last week I talked about this question that it's a problem that Jesus is king because mostly we want to be our own king. And what we really want out of church are like, well, first we want somebody to, to, to handle all the bad parts of me. That was Jesus. Good. I'm glad he did that. You know, he, 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 he forgave and washed the really bad, messed up parts of me. So what we want is forgiveness out of church. Then we want friends out of church. Then we want some good advice, some life wisdom. And then some of us, we want to find a mate. 
Those are the things people want out of church. When people pursue church for primarily those four reasons, and that, by the way, that's what makes a church popular in America. <laughs> when a church gives you easy, cheap grace, friends, so that's one first thing you show up at church. Are there any people like me? Is there anybody I like at this church? I want friends. <laughs> or are there any good pretty girls that I might want to marry at this church? Or, or you know, guys. Right? And, and do they give me good advice? <laughs> Those are the, generally what people want out of church. If you, we, you know, we could do that. Do you know we could build that church? <laughs> and if we built that church, we would not be building the church. <laughs> We'd be building a nice, comfortable country club of religiously scrubbed up nice people. That's what we'd be building. That is very popular in America. Those are the successful churches, the successful clubs. That's what I call them in America. I don't want to get overly mean about this, but you know why New Hope imploded? They don't know the difference between club and church. And no difference. So they were fighting. There's the club faction inside the church and the church faction inside the church. And then it imploded. So for a time, club is popular. And it can go very well. But clubs don't last and they don't do. They don't have God. That's what we're talking about today. And the core question is following discipleship, right? All right. Three parts. Part one, more than nice people. A church is not here to make nice people. We're here to make disciples. Part two, religious consumers or disciples, nice cleaned up club or the church. Religious consumers or disciples, nice cleaned up club or the church. Part three, God's dilemma. I'm going to share with you the gospel by seeing it from God's point of view. We usually see it from our point of view. I want to close today's message by telling you about it from God's point of view. There's a dilemma which the gospel answers in which I hope that when you see this dilemma and how God solved his dilemma, you would consider him worthy of following all the way. Okay? And really being wanting discipleship. Because that's that was my goal of, of today's message. That you would want real discipleship. I know some of you are scared. <laughs> it's okay to be scared. I don't you're like, I don't know if I'm good enough to, to really be a real follower. That's okay. None of us are really good enough, okay? That's why it's by grace. <laughs> you can be scared. You can think you stink at it. It's okay. You probably do stink at it. And everybody gets scared at some point. Okay? But I hope that after you hear about God's dilemma in the gospel, you will actually want to follow him. So let's go to part one. I have been thinking all week about how to do this, and um, God gave me, da-da, mere Christianity. (laughs) So many of you have heard of this book, one of the most famous Christian books of the 20th century. I know it's so long ago, the 20th century. And... um, Many of you have maybe have tried to read this book and um, you've never gotten to the back part. You know, so this is the back, okay? 
Um, mere Christianity, let me just tell you this. So if you like kind of what you hear today from this book, read the back part. <laughs> book four. People read the front part, it's difficult, and then they give up, and they're like, I can't read this. Just read the back. Book four of Mere Christianity, it's awesome, right? It's one of my favorite things, and it's fed me so much. So what is he talking about in this portion? I'm going to jump into a discussion that he discussed, and he discusses two people, right? He comes up with like two people that are sort of like, you know, your average people who live next to you. One is a Christian, and he calls her Miss Bates, and she's a mean, kind of a crappy person. She's a Christian, but she's a lame person, and you're like, I do not like this person. And then he calls the other person, not a Christian, and he calls this guy Dick Firkin, right? Dick Firkin is wonderful. <laughs> or at least you would think he's, he's super nice. He's nice. <laughs> he's the kind of person you want to meet at church. But this, in this case, he's not a Christian, right? And what, is, what he's doing here is he's asking this question about Christianity. The, the real question is, if a person becomes a Christian, what actually is supposed to happen to them? <laughs> Will Christianity make Ms. Bates a deeper, more beautiful person? But Dick Firkin's already a nice, pretty nice guy. <laughs> That's the discussion. Does he need Christianity? Does he need a church? That's really the question he's raising. So let, let me skip to it. He goes, all right. The Christian Ms. Bates may have an unkinder tongue than unbelieving Dick Firkin. Of course, because she's mean, right? That by itself does not tell us whether Christianity actually works. The question is what Miss Bates' tongue would be like if she were not a Christian, and what Dick Firkins would be like if he actually became a Christian. See, he's talking about the real power and efficacy of the faith itself. That's one of the things I think our, our culture is really interested in. They're just saying, you believe in this thing about Jesus and you become a Christian and somehow you get to go to heaven. All right. But what power does it have? Don't give me BS. What actually makes a difference? I think that is a 100% reasonable question. And churches that just go and practice their little religion and we have their little doctrine and then, and then we tell everybody, you're going to go to hell because you don't agree with our doctrine. If that's all churches got, let me tell you, churches, that, those churches stink. Because there is power in Christianity. There is power in the gospel. And it does things to people when they really follow Jesus. It really does something to them. So I love this question. And anyone who's outside, if you are here today and you're listening and you do not consider yourself a follower of Jesus and you're like, I don't think Christianity's got anything, I love your question. I'm with you. I'm with you. But here's the thing. I w I'm with you on the question but I, have a, we, I believe in the Bible's answer. And Lewis says it very well. So he goes on. So, Ms. Bates and Dick Firkin, as a result of natural causes and early upbringing, have certain temperaments, right? Christianity professes to put both temperaments under a new management, a new king, right? If they allow it, allow, um, allow, Christianity or that king to do so. What you have a right to ask is whether that management, whether that king, 
whether that Lord, the one they're supposed to follow, you know, obey, he's the new management, right? Whether that management, if allowed to take over, actually improves the real problems. Everyone knows that what is being managed in Dick Firkin's case is a lot nicer than what's being managed in Miss Bates. Miss Bates didn't come from such a nice family. You know, her father was probably a drunk. And she grew up some twisted form of like discipline. So she isn't a drunk, and then now she became a Christian, but she's kind of like you know, a legalistic, kind of like grumpy, judgmental Christian. And you don't like her because like she's a Christian, but you think all Christians are like this. You know, you get you get what I'm talking about here. But Dick Firkin, he grew up in great mom and dad, and so and he's a really nice person, and he makes really good money, and he's really well educated and sophisticated but he doesn't see a need for this Jesus stuff, right? So, to judge the management of a factory, you must not consider only the output of the plant, but you have to consider the input, right? Isn't that that real? This is a business-oriented town. That is really real. (laughs) Okay. So, Considering the plant at factory A, it may be a wonder that it turns out anything at all. (laughs) Factory A had such bad, like, raw materials, it's incredible if that factory actually produces anything. (laughs) That would be incredible. That would be incredible management if they can get that factory to produce some decent product, right? But then he goes on to say, but then, considering the first-class material at factory B, that output may look very high, but what would it be like if it came under really great management? Get the question? So now let's go a little deeper. The manager is going to put in some new machinery. He's got to take out the old broken parts and then put in some new stuff. That's like what happens in discipleship. Okay? Before Christ is finished with Miss Page, she's going to be a very nice person indeed, but If we left it at that, it would sound as though Christ's only aim was to pull Miss Bates up to the level of Dick Firkin. (laughs) Can we just like clean up this like mean junkie lady and turn her into this nice dude like Dick Firkin? But that's not right. That's not actually the goal of the factory. We have been talking, in fact, as if Dick were all right. As if Christianity was something nasty people needed and nice ones could afford to do without. And as if niceness was all that God demanded. But this would be a fatal mistake. The truth is that in God's eyes, Dick Firkin needs saving just as much as Miss Bates. In one sense, niceness is not even part of the question. Get it? You cannot expect God to look at Dick's placid temper and friendly disposition exactly as we do. We look at people and judge them from the outside. Hey, I want nice people like that at church. But God doesn't look at it like that. They result from natural causes which God himself creates. Being merely temperamental, they will all disappear if Dick's digestion alters. You guys ever had that? You know, you show up at church, you're a nice person. But you've seen that commercial. You're not you when you're hungry. <laughs> it's like you walk into church a Christian. 
<laughs> but, you're at, but at lunchtime, you are not acting like a Christian. Because <laughs> that's all it takes. If all your Christianity is, is a nice temperament with good upbringing. The niceness, in fact, is God's gift to Dick, not Dick's gift to God. Get it? In the same way, God has allowed natural causes working in a world spoiled by centuries of sin to produce and misbase the narrow mind and jangled nerves which account for most of her nastiness. He intends in his own good time to set that part of her right, but that is not for God the critical part of the business. It presents no difficulty. Making her nicer, that's not, that, that's not really the hard part for God. It is not what he finds anxiety about. I don't know, can God, does God find anxiety about anything? I thought that was an interesting phrase, right? What he is watching and waiting and working for is something that is not easy even for God. Because from the nature of the case, even he cannot produce it by a mere act of power. Okay, let me translate this. He can't go to Mrs. Bates and go, boop, I zap you, boop, and I've reprogrammed you, now you're nice. He can't do that. You know what he needs? He needs for her to want to actually follow him because she actually chooses to follow him. Because if you are a machine, you could just be reprogrammed. But if you are a human being, you have a will and a mind and a heart, and you choose what is beautiful and glorious. That's discipleship. Real discipleship is wanting to follow Jesus and receive what he gives. That's real discipleship. You have to want it. So God is trying to make disciples. He can't just zap you and go, boop, I fixed you. He has to actually have to say, pull you, coax you, woo you, so you want to follow him. So let me jump ahead. It is something that the people, whether they're Miss Bates or Dick Frickin, can freely give him or freely refuse to give him. So this is the issue. I want to believe in Jesus, but I don't really want to follow him. <laughs> right? So you, you can do that. And most American Christians apparently choose easy believism over real following. And in our church, we're always trying to coax you, woo you, pull you, not make you, not force you to follow Jesus. Because we can't force you to follow Jesus anyway. Real discipleship is you want to. And it'll happen by grace. So, will they or will they not turn to him and thus fulfill the only purpose for which they were created? Their free will is trembling inside like a needle of a compass. But this is a needle that can choose it can point to its true north, to God. God God's not going to make the needle point. He's got to woo you, persuade you. Okay? So this is what we're talking about here. So let's get to part two. More than nice people. You know, we could do the, I'll give you easy believism, and I'll be nice. And then we'll give you really good advice. And then we will attract other people that like Bible and then good advice. And then they will become friends with each other. And some of you will find a mate. Right? 
And if we did that, this church will grow. And we'll have more money, and I'll get paid better. And people will say, I'm a good pastor. And they will say, this is a good church. And they'll say, oh, you guys seem like really nice Christians, when really, we're just a bunch of nice dick firkins. We're just nice people. So I just want to talk about part two. What do you actually really want out of church? Do you want to go to some place that gathers a bunch of dick firkins because I'm a dick firkin? <laughs> those are, I want those people to be my friends. And I want my kids to marry. You know, I want my daughter to meet a nice dick firkins. Except, you know, his name will be like, you know, James Chang or something like that, right? <laughs> Except we, we won't call him like, you know, Dick Firkins. Right? That's what he'll, he'll like a, maybe a Chinese last name and a nice biblical first name. <laughs> something like that, right? So that's kind of what we're talking about. Is that what you want out of church? I'm, I'm, it makes me really sad when I visit churches today. Right? When I visit churches today, the gospel is not preached. It's sung a couple times. They'll pick like four songs. One of the songs has the gospel. <laughs> the other one is like what a pastor that I respect calls the Jesus is my girlfriend songs. Oh, I just love you, Jesus. I'll give my life to you, Jesus. But didn't say anything about what Jesus actually did for you. <laughs> Why? What he did for you is sufficient to redeem you. It doesn't say that part. That's the gospel. What I will do for Jesus is not the gospel. <laughs> what Jesus did for us, which we could not do for ourselves, that's the gospel. And if you go to a lot of churches, there's all this super-duper emotivism about, like, Jesus. It's not the gospel. Now, those songs are not all bad. But if you don't have any gospel in, the, in, in at least one, please, I'm, I'm sitting there going, please, we just sang three emotive Jesus is my girlfriend songs. Can we at least sing one song that preaches the gospel? Because I'm afraid the pastor might not preach the gospel. And there's all these people in the room, and they think they're Christians. But many of them might be just a bunch of nice Dick Perkins, and they don't actually know Jesus. That's what I'm afraid of. When I go to churches, that's what I see. And the reason I paused before I said that is because I want you to feel that I'm sad. Not condemning or judgmental. I've grown up in church. You know what I know? Let me tell you, uh, uh, oh, I'm against organized religion. That's people say that. <laughs> Let me, let me tell you something. It's really not very organized. <laughs> you should say, I'm against really disorganized religion because that's like 95% of the churches, 98% of the churches. And then there's like a 2% of the churches where the dude gets up and he's like some super leader and he can make people like, I'll pay you enough money to do this. All right? And then he like organizes and it's like more organized. <laughs> and then people like that. I mean, I kind of like it too. But I said, that why you want to go to church? At the center of church, don't you want God? God. When I go to church, I want God. Period. Okay, there's like maybe like 10 or 
12 other things that I, I would like. Kind of like the music to be something I prefer. <laughs> yeah, I want to meet some Miss Bates, but not too many of them. <laughs> but mostly I just want God. I'm desperate for him. And I want to walk with other people who are desperate for him. And they'll follow Jesus because it's either Jesus or death. Because we can have a comfortable life and we can have a comfortable club called, and we call it church, but that's not living. That's not living. It's actually just lying to ourselves that we're good people and we got Christ and church and I'm going to have a nice, comfortable, good people life, but really, it's just lying to ourselves. I mean, phony and living like some pathetically like, and then we're just waiting for it to all just come crashing now. I mean, I keep looking at America, and I'm thinking, like, who's going to be the next president? When is this whole thing going to completely crash and burn? And then we're living in, like, something a lot worse, and now we're all biting each other and fighting each other because, like, everything just burned down. Hey, a few weeks ago, the people on the, in the other church didn't know that they were going to implode. Maybe some percentage of them knew they were going to implode. Two months ago, they didn't know. You don't think it could happen? It happens. When people don't actually have real life, real righteousness, real God, real love, real purpose, it's just all waiting to like... But if you have God, you can have more than nice. And that's what I want in church. And so, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> okay, um, there's really morbid days. <laughs> Young probably feels it too. Really morbid days when, like, you know, we're going we're gonna to start Revive Church, and a year later, we don't have as much money, and some people are, like, saying this building is not as nice, and our children's ministry is not as easy because I have to volunteer for it. <laughs> and then they're like, you know, I, I think I'll go over there. It's easier at that church over there. <laughs> and, and if they pro- proclaim the gospel... At least I'll be like, at least they proclaim the gospel. <laughs> I bless you. Go there. <laughs> but if they go over there and they don't proclaim the gospel, I'm like, oh, gosh, what are you doing? <laughs> and then we just fail out in the church because, like, that could happen. That's the risk. Okay? <laughs> so I'm being really raw and honest with you. So, like, we're excited about starting a new church, but we're also kind of scared. <laughs> And you know why I'm possibly kind of scared? Because I'm not sure which of you are going to choose club because you don't want to do church because church in this city is really hard okay just like let me tell you something I, I never feel sorry for the fact for myself that church in the city is really hard we could be in Beijing <laughs> and we could be in um, we could be in, in you know in Saudi Arabia where if they find out you're a Christian <laughs> you know they literally behead people who convert to Christianity if you're Saudi Arabian you know that or they put you in prison if you're not Saudi Arabian, and then they kick you out of the country and then beat you first, right? So I always go like, uh, I'm not sure about the Christians sometimes who show up and interested in church, and they might, like, wander off for religious club <laughs> because that's what people like in America. But, but when God does his stuff, oh, it's so good. And I need it. Not just you need it. 
I desperately need him. So I want to do church. Not because I'm such a good pastor or a good person. Because I'm so poor. I need to follow Jesus. You know why we ask you to follow Jesus to be his disciple? You desperately need him. (laughs) That's why. Don't take Jesus light. Don't take Christianity light. You desperately need all of God. You desperately need a king, the new management, who will give you all of God. Okay, let's go to the final portion. God's dilemma. Here's, okay, if you've been listening to my preaching, you know, okay, he's now finally going to say the gospel. Good. (laughs) Do you know in the center of the, so here's what God looks at when he looks at the world. He sees Miss Bates and Dick Firkins. He actually sees much worse than Miss Bates. We see murderers and rapists and prostitutes, drug addicts. You know, we don't see those meet those people as much maybe in our city, but like he sees those people and he goes, those people can become my sons and daughters. So he sees. So God created the world. And he cannot fix the world by power. Like, boom, I'm omnipotent power. All right. I'm going to make these people, they are going to be in the image of God, utterly distinct. They're not rats. They're not snakes like a dog. You know, you could like train a dog, give them enough treats and then positive reinforcement, and you can get the dog to do a lot of stuff. God did not make dogs and cats. Well, he did, but that's not, that's not what he's really interested in. He made these people in the image of God. So now they have a choice. If they're really going to be in the image of God, they will love him by choice. You get it? They will choose righteousness by, they love righteousness. They will love because they really want to love. (laughs) Because they are loving and they want to be loving. So that's what it means to be in the image of God. So he can't, so now, now, since he's God, he knows, all right, I'm going to put the man, we call him Adam, but Adam is a, that's his name, but I don't know if you know, in Hebrew, Adam means the man, right? His name is the man, actually. And then he put the woman, her name was life giver, okay, actually, that's what Eve means. He put them there, and now God being God, he knows, he knows they're not going to choose him. He knows that there's a devil, and the devil is going to say, why follow God when you can run your own life? When you can choose your own wisdom, when you can be in control, why follow him? And back then, they're like, you know, it's like, there's only one rule you got to obey. Don't touch that fruit. Don't touch it. Don't even touch it. That was it. Man, it was easy to follow. That was all discipleship took. The food, awesome wife, she has no clothes on. (laughs) Right? You're totally in love with her. You have, like, the perfect soulmate. There's no shortage of food. You have great purpose. You have God walking with you in the garden every day. It's awesome. There's only one piece of discipleship. Don't touch that throat. 
It's super easy discipleship. And the devil said, why do you have to do that? And God knew they would choose against him. And because they're in the image of God, they have to have that power. Otherwise, they become dogs or less. Tools. So, they chose against him. And after they chose against him, he knew that all kinds of gross things would like just flow out of them. And then they, they would become rapists and murderers, because that's, you know, later on, the very next part of the Bible is one brother murders the next one. <laughs> and then, you know, a chapter, there's a guy, like, he's like, he's boasting of how he murders people. His murdering is actually his, his boast and his righteousness. That's, he knows that. So that they would first become gross, wicked, sinful people in the sense that they commit sins. And then they would have their boasts and their righteousness, and their righteousness would be sin. That's what he knew. And then he knew that their souls would curve in on themselves. You've know, you heard this thing that I keep calling Martin Luther, incurvised to their soul, and they would all be about me. And then they would build a meaning where they're their own king and they wouldn't want him. Okay. You're like, okay, that's, you just said it in a more dramatic way, the fall. Right. Okay. This is God's perspective. Now stop and think. You're almighty. You're all wise. You're supremely righteous and holy and loving. What are your choices? What are your choices? Let me tell you what my choice would have been. <laughs> I'd have been like, boom, let's take all these people and like give them what they deserve. <laughs> That's called justice. God is justice. Remember, I told you last week, what is, you know, a couple weeks ago, what is grace? Giving more than they deserve. So God is just God. He could have given what we all deserve, which is to burn us all. Okay, that's one choice. But if he did that, he's a failure. He made beings so that his beauty and his glory would not only be his beauty and his glory, I'm going to make people that, like little versions of me. (laughs) Sons and daughters who are like me, so that my glory would shine out of them. And then when I will let them rule over creation, and then they'll rule over creation with my glory and honor and righteousness and beauty. And that would have failed. All right, option number two. I'm going to love them. Okay. So in order to not kill them, I'll forgive them. I'll forgive them. Okay. So, you got a kid, you ever done this, your kid does something really stupid, and you're like, it's okay. So let's say, you know, you go like, don't, you know, st- don't stick a wire in the socket. <laughs> and then they do it, and then, and then they get shocked, and then, you know, electricity on that side of the house goes, and just blows up. Okay, you have two options as, a, as now as a leader. What the heck? <laughs> and you start pulling out the paddle, because <laughs> that's what they deserve for disobedience. The other option is, I'm going to love you. I'll forgive you. Can you just go, it's okay? Is that good enough? If God just goes, I forgive you, because that's what we think forgiveness is. 
We think forgiveness is saying something terrible that you did is just okay. And it's just okay. And if that's the case, then if that's what you, if your kid, that's all they conclude is like, hey, I could just like stick a wire into the socket and then it'll be okay. <laughs> and then tomorrow, you know, they decide to drive their car in your car when you're to steal your keys and drive the car when they're, you know, you know, 16 years old, except they don't have a license. <laughs> They're like, oh, don't drink too much with those people because those people are idiots. And then you'll be like, oh, but he goes like, whatever. I'll go drink with them. <laughs> and then, you know, dad will haul me out of jail because it'll be okay. <laughs> He'll forgive me and it'll be okay. You get what I'm saying? If you're a leader of anybody that you actually love, you have a dilemma. Except God's was an absolutely fantastically the most profound dilemma. Because now, if he's going to love them, he has to forgive them. But here's how, how, how forgiveness really works. It costs. Because when the lights go out on that side of the building, you say, it's okay. You know what that means? I will pay the bill. And until the electrician shows up and fixes it, we're all going to suffer in darkness on that side of the house. But if that's all God did it's okay, I forgive you and pay the cost, then the kid will continue to be an idiot <laughs> and kill himself and run over. He'll become a drunk, run over a few people, end up in prison. You're pulling him out of prison. <laughs> All these kinds of things. What actually has to happen now is, okay, I can just forgive you by an act of my power, and then if I just pay for it, okay, we'll just pay for it. But that's not going to solve things. <laughs> So on one hand, he just condemns all of us. That's a failure. On the other hand, he forgives us, but we don't change. That's a failure. Huh. So what must he do? He must redeem us and change us from the inside out so that we actually want to follow him and receive his wisdom and agree, not just go, it's your wisdom, so I'll just accept it. No, that's actually not good enough. It's actually you see the wisdom and you fully agree with it, and it becomes your wisdom. You actually receive his righteousness, and then you receive it to your heart, and it becomes your righteousness. You receive his humility, and, you, and then you become humble like him. And how is he going to do that? He was saying the worst thing about these people is they're so prideful, and they got to go their own way. And so what I will do is I will lay my life down, pay the cost, absorb all their sin, and show them real humility and real love. That's what Jesus did. Now, if that's all you do, thanks for showing me the love. <laughs> thanks for showing me the love. Thanks for the forgiveness. And now I'm just going to go about my way, show up at church, cheap, easy believism, pick up my friends. Thanks. If that's all there is, it's a failing God. Because then when he says, now, will you follow me <laughs> and be like me? And so you will not just be filled with self-centered, incurvatus of the soul and pride, wrecking your life, wrecking other people's life, you'll actually become 
glorious and beautiful like me. Follow me. And then you know how we follow him? Like the cross. When I go out into the world, what I meet is all these incurvatus, self-centered people, got to be their own kings. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to die a death on the cross. I'll absorb your sins and I'll serve you. Then thou will unfurl all the self-centeredness and you'll become liberated from your self-centeredness called humility. And you will sacrificially love and absorb other people's sins and do it for them. And now you'll be like me. That's called discipleship. Discipleship is built on the cross. Salvation is built on the cross. Build, becoming holy like Jesus is built on the cross. And every time we go and meet somebody, then they're going to hurt us and, be, and have all this incurvatus and they're going to be all terrible. And then we're going to serve them and then we'll have to forgive them and we'll have to absorb their sin. And somewhere along the line, the Holy Spirit will break them of all their wickedness. And they'll realize, why do you love the way you love? And we'll say, because I've been redeemed by Jesus. This is following. And we desperately need to follow. There'll be days you're like, I don't want to love that person. They hurt me. I don't, I don't want to keep absorbing these people's sins. But as soon as you say, I'm not going to follow Jesus, you're on your own. Okay? You're not walking in his cross, and you are now not walking with him to become more deeply human. You're choosing to be like the devil. That's what you're choosing. As soon as you say, sorry, let me just use you, Jesus, this crossway is too hard. You're choosing to be like the devil. But if you choose Jesus, he'll say, let me go all the way with you. And I promise you, there'll be glorious things and painful things. But even the painful things will be glorious because you'll become like me. This is the gospel. Let's pray. I feel like on so many weeks, a braying donkey. <laughs> I hope um, <laughs> they're like a, a long, wordy praying, braying donkey. But Lord, with the stuff I said today, would you take this jackass's words and make them your words? And people see you. Because the gospel is ultimately the revelation of who God is for us. What God is willing to do to reach us and not condemn us and not just go, let's not let us go about our own way and wreck our own lives because we want just a little bit of Jesus and continue to be like the devil. The gospel is that God will go all the way. <laughs> to call people to go all the way to him, with him. And you'll never leave us.
This is how much you will love us. Will we follow you there? Lord, I know we're going to fall off. I have fallen off. I have run away. I have disobeyed again and again. And yet, can there be a church that's about this?